So we're working through the book of Colossians, and uh, we're talking about divine purpose in this first section, and, and seeking to understand how it is that, that God is, is able to be sovereign and to work all things for good, despite the fact that we all are making thousands and thousands of decisions, and we're responsible for them, and uh, they are our decisions, and, and yet God is able to, to work out a divine purpose. It's a mystery. But it's not completely lost upon us that, that we can see and trust in the hand of God. God is working in all things, including Sundays with snow. You know, on snowy Sundays, I, I'm always mindful of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Last night, my, my wife was texting our older children. I, I don't think she meant for me to, to be copied on it, but, but, I, but I was. But I, and because uh, around 9.30 last night, I started pouting because it was snowing. And she, uh, she texted to our children, there's nothing sadder than a preacher on a snowy Saturday night. I was complaining about not getting to preach the sermon. I was, you know, having a bit of a pity party. And uh, this morning, I, I, I woke up and I was mindful of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, easily one of the greatest English-speaking preachers to ever live. He was actually saved on a snowy Sunday morning. His church had been canceled because of the snow. And he wasn't even a Christian, but he was looking for a place to worship. And he found this little primitive Methodist church. And he went in, there was a light, he went in, and there were less than a dozen people there. And the pastor had not been able to get there, but a deacon had shown up. And this deacon, looking around and not knowing what else to do, uh, took responsibility to lead the service and, and took up a passage in Isaiah. Isaiah 45 says, Look unto the Lord. And it was in that message, preached by an unprofessional preacher in a very small environment on a very cold, snowy Sunday morning, that one of the greatest preachers of all time was saved. So who knows but that this morning, on this snowy Sunday, that God is going to do something in our midst today. And that is with, with great anticipation why I, I preach with such fervor today, anticipating that God is going to do something, because God is always at work. There is a divine purpose in everything. Last week we began this series, if you weren't with us, the, the foundation of this is uh, two verses. Of course, we're preaching through Colossians. But the foundation of this series in particular is Psalm 139, verse 16. Psalm 139, verse 16 says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God has our story written. He has a destiny for every one of us. We must find it and fulfill it. Ephesians chapter 2 is the second verse. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Here's what we know. God has our story. God has our plan for our lives. We must find and fulfill His purpose for us, being confident that, that there is a divine purpose in all things. He is working them for good for those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Now, you sit here today listening to me. I stand before you preaching God's Word. After having made thousands and thousands of decisions, after uh, you and I both with ancestors who've made thousands and thousands of decisions, and yet here we are now, this is not an accident. 
where you are right now is not an accident. I don't know what kind of season you're in, but there is a divine purpose in it. And I want to encourage you in this series to look for it. To always be aware that God, God has a purpose for this. Whether it's good or bad, God has a purpose. Today I want to talk about the fact that God has a divine purpose for gathering and gifting His people. God has a a unique purpose for every single church. Uh, Our text for today is verse 2. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out, and let's go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 2. I'm actually preaching from the first Bible ever given to me when I was saved. My big girlfriend, now wife, Carrie, gave this to me after I was saved. And it's actually uh, the NIV 84. Uh, this morning, we typically preach from the ESV because it is usually uh, much closer to the original Greek. But interestingly, in this case, verse 2, uh, the NIV is, is much more concise and, and, uh, and in line more clearly with the original Greek. And so we're going to use that this morning. Let's all stand together and honor God's word. Weston's going to come from, uh, come for us and read this newly minted just last week, turned in, had a great birthday last weekend, and so now here he is on a snowy Sunday reading God's Word. We're in Colossians chapter 1, and he's going to now read for us verse 2. To the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Weston. Good job. So let's remember again how this letter came about. Of course, it's inspired by the Spirit of God. This is the Word of God. Uh, The Apostle Paul... uh, wrote this letter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit while he was imprisoned in Rome. Now, how did Colossae come to be a church? The Apostle Paul never visited, that we know of, Colossae, never preached there, was never present there. Uh, So I want you to think again geographically of the Mediterranean Sea. Jerusalem is here. Rome is here. Uh, Ephesus and Colossae are here, and so that's kind of blown up right here. They're about 150 miles, less than 150 miles from one another. Here's Colossae, here's Ephesus. Now, Paul actually preached in Ephesus for three years. Very unusual. He, 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 we, know, we don't know of him spending much more time in, in a church like that. Of course, he spent a lot of time in Roman prison, but uh, Ephesus, he had a very uh, concentrated time of ministry. And while he was there preaching, uh, a young man named Epaphras, he came from Colossae, heard the gospel and was saved. And he went back to Colossae, shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many were saved and baptized, and so they formed the church there at Colossae. Now, after Paul was arrested in Jerusalem, and he was taken to prison in Rome, Colossae, the church at Colossae, sent Epaphras on a mission trip. So, from the very beginning, churches have received gifts for Christ, raised up uh, those from their congregations who would go and partner with missionaries on the field. Epaphras came to Rome and was there on mission with Paul, and Paul was now sending him back, but was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this letter, which is now in our in our Bibles known as the book of Colossae. And he's writing about a particular problem that the church is facing. Apparently there was some false doctrine that had come in. Apparently there were some strong personalities that were diverting the attention of God's people from God's purpose. And so Paul writes, again, to communicate that God is, that Jesus Christ is sovereign, that Jesus Christ is the Savior, that He is the maker and sustainer of all things, all things that we will look at, God willing, in the, in the days and weeks ahead. But what we see in our text today is something significant about about who it is and how it is and why it is God gathers and gifts His people 
and, and for what purpose. There is a divine purpose in it. He has a divine purpose for every church. The Lord knew what Colossia needed. He knew what their challenge was. So he was preparing them for the days ahead. God is always doing that. I don't know what season you're in right now. Jonathan and his family, they're getting ready to go to Haiti. So you're in a season of getting ready to go and be to minister there at Port-au-Prince. And, and so you're in a season of letting go and getting ready. And you're seeking, what does God want for me? We met and we prayed last week and we're excited about what God has for us. I, I don't know what season your family is in. I don't know what God is pressing you toward right now, but it's something. And he's right now preparing you for whatever that is. He's always getting you ready. He's always working according to his purpose in, in your life. It's kind of like basketball. You know, right now, teams teams are figuring out who they are. They're figuring out their identity. They're figuring out how it is they play well. You see that at the University of Kentucky yesterday. You see it with, with Western Kentucky University. I hate to say it. You see it in Tennessee. I know. Tennessee's coming together looking good. Where you don't see it is at Vanderbilt University. Not coming together, just missing it there somewhere. Maybe she just cancel and try again. I don't know. I can't watch it. It's painful. But watching five games yesterday, and I don't think five is too much to watch on a Saturday, and you can see it with teams. They're either coming together or they're falling apart. And what's happening is they're getting ready for the tournament. They're getting ready. Maybe that's what Bennett, we're just getting ready for the tournament. Yeah, don't hold your breath. I don't know what you're facing, but God's getting you ready for it. He's getting you ready. And, and, And he's at work. And so don't ever forget that. If you don't like the season you're in right now, it's like weather in Kentucky. Don't worry, it'll change. Yesterday we were in t-shirts. Today we're freezing to death. So it is in life, in the Christian life. You never know what's going to come, but God does. God knows what's coming. And so he's working. And and what he's done is he's gathered a a, a people and he's gifted a people to to accomplish his purpose. And so in this introduction, verses 1 and 2, we we see Paul preparing them to understand the foundation, the fabric of of what he has to say. And so what we see in our text today is, is the fact that God gathers and gifts every single church. Every single life gifts, but every single church for a purpose. And it's crucial that you be a part of a local church. There, there is no concept in the New Testament of a Christian not being a member, a known member of a local body of believers. And so if you are, are, are floating and you're not being faithful to a church family, you need to figure out where you're supposed to be. Say, so oh, I'm a college student. Good, glad you're here. If you're going to be here, join be a part of this fellowship. Be a part of our church. If this is where God's called me, uh, my, my older son has, has moved his membership to a church where he is a part of and is soon going to be going on a mission trip to Port-au-Prince, strangely enough, in a, in a couple of months. And so you need to be a part of, of where God has you. And understand that this gathering and gifting of saints is under, it's under God's divine providence. There is divine purpose for all of it. So let's take note, and I, I want you to see it in, in these, these words and phrases that the apostle uses on purpose by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Take note of this. God gathers and gifts every church, first of all, to recognize those who are His. To recognize those who are His. God saves the people and brings them together. If you're not being brought together with a local body, you need to be concerned. This is not an easy thing to be gathered and to give to serve together, but it's a necessary thing. And notice the, the, what he says about all of God's people. First of all, they are holy and faithful brothers. Now, that, that word, out of boss, that, that word brothers, it doesn't mean just males. It's a general term like mankind. And what he's basically saying is we all have the rights of those who are the, the, the heir, apparent, of the Father. And that was always to the Son. And so we know in Jesus Christ, we are all heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And so Paul identifies us as, as such right here in this very introduction. To the holy and faithful brothers. Now, that word holy and that word faithful, those are both adjectives. And so he's describing the very nature of those who have come to know Jesus Christ. We are holy brothers. Now, how are we holy? Very important question. See, there are those well-meaning people, religious people, who want to say that to be holy, you have to figure out how to overcome your problems and your sin and your issues, and you have to earn your way into God's favor. And that's wrong. That's not biblical. That's not true. Here's what is true. You and I are born with a sin nature. You and I are born at odds with God. Now, that wasn't God's design. We know with the three circles, God's design is that everything be in harmony. But everything is not in harmony. Our, our world is filled with brokenness. Why? Because of sin. Because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But in His goodness and His grace and His mercy, God has entered into our world in order to make us holy. Now, how does He do that? It's a miracle. It's a miracle of new birth. It's a miracle of new life. See, the, the word gospel literally means good news. And here's the good news. Though you and I have sinned, God loves us still. And though we deserve to pay the penalty for our sin, which is death, God took that penalty on Himself. God became flesh and died for our sins. God has been raised. Jesus Christ, God in flesh, has been raised, and He's returning again. So He is alive. And so now we can have His life in us. We can be found in Christ, but we have to repent. We have to stop trusting in ourselves. We have to stop trusting in anything else other than Jesus Christ for salvation. We must believe that Jesus Christ really has paid the penalty really has come to give new life, really has been raised. And when we believe and we repent and His life comes alive in us, then we can pursue and recover God's design. But only when we've experienced the double cure of the gospel. The double cure. There are two aspects to a person who is genuinely saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. First of all, your sin is completely pardoned. Your sin is completely paid for. There are so many people who've wrongly been taught, I've got to make up for the wrong I've done. You can never make up for it. Well, I have to pay God back. You can never pay God back. He has paid for your sin in full. All you can be is grateful. All you can be is humbled by that. The first part of the cure is that your 
your sin is washed away. It is paid for. And then, second part, you are given the righteousness of Christ. You are covered in Christ. That's why when you read in Revelation, it talks about those who are in the white robes. That's why Paul constantly uses the term in Christ, because you have been covered in Christ. So look at the description again in the text today. Look how they are described. Holy and faithful brothers. Look at this. In Christ. To be in Christ is to be given His life. You are alive in Him. He is alive in you. And there is new life in Christ. And without that, you are dead in your sin. You're alone. That is not a place of hope. It's a place of misery. If you are living without Christ today, you are hopeless. And there's nothing that can save you except Christ. And whatever you're depending on, you need to repent of it and turn away. And you need to enter into Christ. And having entered into Christ, you need to begin to ask the question, where does God want me to gather for worship? Because I want you to notice who Paul's talking to here, all right? To the holy and faithful brothers in Christ. Now look at this, at Colossae. There was a unique church known as the church at Colossae. Now, they were a part of the capital C church, but they were a local small C church, a local church. Living Hope is a local church. Every Christian needs to be a member of a local church, and you need to be known in that local church. Now, in a church our size, you're not necessarily going to be able to be known by everybody, but you need to be known by somebody. If you can miss church and no one miss you, then you are missing it. That's not that's not the way it's supposed to be. See, you are meant to be known. When Paul wrote this letter, he wrote it to the Holy Brothers in Christ at Colossae. There were a lot of people in Colossae, but only those who were gathered with the church heard this message. Why? Because this message was particularly for them, and it was read when they gathered. As a matter of fact, we'll look at this in chapter 4, verse 16. They actually say, hey, by the way, send this letter over to this city and get their letter, which we don't have, and make sure you read that. But this is the Holy Word of God. This is Scripture. You need to make sure that this is this is being made known. But those that local church had an identity. There were specific people that were known to be a part of it. Are you known to be a part of a local family of faith? I love the fact that we're, we're having two services today. And, uh, and it was interesting in the first service, and now it's interesting in the second service, although most of you usually come to the 11 o'clock, uh, although we have some weirdos from the chapel here. I don't even know what to do with you people sitting here. But, you know, most of the time when I'm preaching, people are in, you're always there. That's where I like you. That's good. You're supposed to, the Meredith's are always in the lows over here. That's where you're supposed, you're a little low today. I'm, I'm, I'm a little awkward. Yeah. Yes, thank you guys are always where you're supposed to be. I appreciate that. See if there's any other weirdos out there. So, you're, just so you know, you're supposed to sit in the same seat. They're the Pharisees, right where they're supposed to be. Although you guys are sometimes over here. It feels awkward to me, if I'm honest with you. I'm going to have to ask you to move. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But, but here's the thing. You need to be known where you are. It doesn't mean you're going to be known by 2,000 plus people. I love that Tom, uh, one of our guys at the 8 o'clock uh, service, he said, uh, 
a few weeks ago, he, he went to another service time, but he, he said in the, in the same section, and he said, it was so wonderful. All these people were, were so nice to me, and they wanted to meet me, and because and, 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 they thought I was a guest, see? And, and, and he said, and he said, I just thought that was so great. But he said, also remind me, this is not where I belong. I, I need to be where I'm supposed to be, where I'm known. And so one of the beautiful things about living hope is when you sit where you're supposed to, which is in the same seat every week, you can know the guests that are around you and you can make them feel welcome. You can be known and make sure that other people feel welcome. Friends, if you're not in church often enough to be known, then you're not in church often enough. You say, well, it's a big church. No one knows if I'm there. Yes, they do. If you're doing it right, if you're there, if you're worshiping, you're in your place, if you've got your place. See, it's the church at Colossae. They, they knew who one another was. They, they knew who that meant when they said the church at Colossae because they were members. It was to the holy brothers, the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. They, they were gathered and they were recognizable. Second, God gathers and gives every church to bless those who are His. God gives us these two great gifts, grace and Grace and peace. Now, these two words, grace and peace, uh, they, they both have a unique derivative. And so what you have with the word grace is you have much more of a Grecian, a Greek foundation. And what you have in this word peace is, is much more Jewish. Now, you'll remember, we talked about this last week, that the Apostle Paul was a, a Jewish Roman or a Roman Jew, whichever one you want to call him. He had a Roman... Uh, uh, citizenship, but he himself was Jewish, and he, you'll remember, he was actually, he was actually raised and trained to be a Pharisee, a very high-ranking uh, Bible scholar in his day in the Jewish faith. But he was trained by Gamaliel, who was one of the great uh, philosophers who knew Greek philosophy and matched the Greek philosophy with the with the Jewish foundation. And so, what we see in Paul's writings, almost every time you find a, a letter written by the Apostle Paul, he speaks of grace and peace. And whenever you see that, I want you to be mindful. That's right, because God purposefully, divine purpose, made him a Greek. I'm sorry, a, a Roman Jew, a, a, a Jew who was Roman. These two things he's talking about here are unique. They are states of being. Grace is a state of being. It's a gift that creates a state of being. Peace is a state of being. You cannot have shalom. Again, that's the Hebrew derivative. That's the concept. You cannot have wholeness, peace, without grace. Let me explain. If you are not in Christ by grace through faith in Christ alone, you're on your own. And if you're on your own, you can't have peace. Because here's what you know. You failed before, you're going to fail again. You don't know what's going to happen in, in, in five minutes, five hours, much less five years. God does. Psalm 139, verse 16. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. That tells us God knows. We don't know. And here's what stinks. If you're not in Christ, you're on your own, and you have to figure it out on your own. But if you are in Christ, you can rest in Him. Last week, I had a lot of conversations about people very concerned about being in God's will. A lot of conversations. 
conversations, about decision-making. I had a lot of folks stay back. I had a lot of folks send me emails and, and messages on social media. How do I know I'm supposed to marry this person? How do I know if I'm supposed to go to the school? How do I know God's will? Here's the good news if you're a Christian. God will guide you. And people can say, well, what if I make the wrong decision? He will correct you. It's not hard for him. Hey, Jonah was going the wrong way. God fixed that. I, I, you've heard me tell, share my testimony. You know, I was going to be a professional football player. I was going to do ministry, whatever. Five broken ribs later, I'm in the ministry now, right? Well, hopefully God doesn't have to break your ribs, but he will if he has to. Typically what God does is, is he just moves your heart. He removes certain opportunities and creates others. But understand this and remember this. Just as you cannot steer a boat that's not moving, so God does not steer a life that's not on the move. So some of you are saying, God, show me your will. Show me your will. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll do whatever you want you to do. But you're not moving. You're not going anywhere. You're, you're just, it's, it's, it's paralysis by analysis. Well, what if this happens? What if this happens? What if, and you don't have peace because you're not trusting God. You just got to go forward. Just take the next step that you know that is in front of you that makes the most sense. Pray about it. Talk to brothers and sisters in Christ. Take the step. Guess what? If it's the wrong one, he'll move your foot. He'll sway you. The most important thing is that you honor Christ with your life. The most important thing is that you humble yourself and say, God, I'm trusting in you. I don't trust me. I trust you. We have this verse all over our house, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your, uh, with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. It's a promise. Here's the thing. If you're seeking to honor God in all your relationships and all your ways, the Lord will guide you. If you are dishonoring God, the Lord's going to discipline you if you're his child. And even that is him guiding you. He's guiding you to where he wants you. He wants you to be in a place where you're living obediently to him. You say, well, that's all great good. I want to know specifics. What am I supposed to do tomorrow? Honor Jesus. Pursue him in his word. Pray about your decisions. And he will, he will provide the way. You need not worry if, if you're doing the right thing. He will get you where he wants you. He's, by the way, bigger than you. He can move you. Trust him. Trust him. Acknowledge him. Last thing I'd point out is this. God gathers and gets every church to unify those who are his. Uh, look at this. Uh, possessive pronoun. From God, our Father. You might want to underline that one. Our Father. Not my Father. Our Father. All who are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone enjoy a personal relationship with God and come to know Him as Father. And what you find is you're not the only one with this relationship. What you find is God has gathered many to himself through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And we are 
His. And as His, we are a household of faith that we are to honor our Father in. I love the way Paul describes this in Galatians. Galatians chapter 6 is this, verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Live hopeful, be helpful to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Especially be mindful of the needs of those who are your siblings in Christ, who share God as Father. All of us are responsible to be in the family business. And all of us have a responsibility to care for one another, to love one another. John 15, 12 through 13 says this, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And friends, if you're going to stay faithful to a local church, you're going to have to give up some things you want. You're going to have to be willing to, to make sacrifices and know that other people are too. Now, here's what happens in, in a lot of families. Moms and dads, they, they, they look on social media, they look at people's other houses, they look at neighborhoods, they see other people out in public, and they look at their children, and they look at their family, and they give them the stink eye, and they say, why can't we be like them? Normal. I'm, I'm, I'm in a family with a bunch of weirdos. Yes, you are, and you're up them. Here's the thing. Everyone always looks great from a distance. Everyone looks, usually, pretty good on Facebook and social media, right? Here's the reality. We're all weird in our own special way. And, and if you're going to have a marriage that stays, if you're going to have a family that stays, you're going to have to love each other when it's hard to love each other. There's, you know, there's people that, that leave churches. Well, I just didn't like this. You left the church because you didn't like what? Because you didn't like something? What? You didn't like some, somebody? You didn't like this or that? And you're leaving the church over that? Did God tell you to leave that church? As you were honoring Him, or was He guiding you? Well, I just, I just didn't like it. Oh, okay. Well, I'm sure the next church is going to just love to have you. They can't wait to have you point out all their flaws. There is no perfect church in the world, which is good news because nobody in this room is perfect that I know of. And so if, if you're not perfect and there is a perfect church out there, don't you go over there and mess it up. Be where you're supposed to be. Do what you're supposed to do. Love one another. Forgive one another. Make peace with one another. And understand, when we don't, we harm, we harm the expression of the gospel. See, when people come to the church and they're cold and they're angry and, they're, and, and, and when people hear you talking about your church in negative ways out in public, you know what it does for the non-believer? It gives them more reason not to come. It gives them more reason not to believe. Listen, we don't have to fake it and pretend like we're perfect, but the last thing we need to do is just go out and constantly war with each other and make it, make it miserable to be around here. I, I was thinking about this this week when, my, when, I was, when we were young, we lived in Oklahoma, and uh, my brother and I usually got along pretty well, but we were known to, from time to time, 
get into uh, fights. And uh, I had a friend, uh, a new friend that I met over to our house for the first time. And for whatever reason, my brother and I got into a fight. Now, maybe you know my, big, my brother is known as Big P, and I'm Little P, so you can imagine how big Big P is. And while we were fighting, somehow I was able to angle him and to push him in such a way that I threw him through a wall. Now, this young kid who had come to our house for the first time, for whatever reason, his parents wouldn't allow him to come to our house anymore. I mean, for a lot of me, right? Uh, why not? Hey, what you do at the Pettis' house? Well, we were having fun, but then uh, Jason got into a fight with his big brother and threw him through a wall. Oh, really? Well, we'll mark them off the list. Do not return. Friends, Living Hope is not a perfect church. We have a perfect Savior, but we're imperfect people saved by grace. we got to love each other. And, and if, if when people come here, they don't see us loving one another as we are to the best of our ability, they're not going to sense the need to be reconciled to God and be a part of a family. Our God has gathered us for this time and this season. And it's a very precious gift to get to be a part of this. It comes with a great responsibility. It's a lot of work to love. But we are unified under our Father. To the holy brothers, to the holy and faithful brothers, in Christ, at Colossae, local place, grace and peace to you from God, our Father. What is God saying to you today? Some of you, I pray He's saying, you need to be saved. You need to give up on trying to do life on your own and give your life to Christ. Some of you, He's saying to you, you need to stop worrying so much and trust God and trust the next step. You just need to come get on your knees and say, God, I trust that you know the next step. I'm just going to honor you and trust that you have a plan. Others of you know some folks that are maybe wandering. You need to ask God to draw them back and to use this family where this can be a place that they can gather and hear the gospel and experience the love. Whatever it is, ask God to do it today. Let's pray together. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, again, thank you for your word. Thank you for the divine purpose of having Paul in jail and Epaphras go on that mission trip and to share that situation in Colossae, that we might have this text that, that is inspired and holy, that, that we might be able to study it word for word and understand your will and way. And I know that there are some today who need to come and to get on their knees and ask you to forgive them and take over their life, and they need to become children of God by grace, trusting in, in your death, trusting in your resurrection to gain new life. Others who need to come and say, Lord, I want to accomplish your purpose. Show me. Show me your will. I'm seeking to honor you. I'm coming and asking for you to guide me. I'm trusting you. Now, those who need to maybe come and say, Lord, I'm not trusting you. Lord, I need you to, to forgive me and guide me. Others, Lord, today who need to come and pray for a friend or family member for your intervention. I'm so thankful that you will meet with us wherever we are, and you will hear us as we come in Jesus' name. Lord, we glorify this, we praise you, and hear those who come and pray. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. Come and pray as we sing.